0: This is Black Lines and Billables, a podcast about legal technology and innovation and law firm associate success and development. I'm your host, Christian Lang. Last week, I attended the Clock Corporate Legal Operations Institute in Las Vegas, which was an incredible event, and I'm excited to share a little bit about it with you on this podcast. But first, let's pause for a second. I suspect we have a number of listeners who are not familiar with Clock or the Institute. In fact, I bet there's a bunch of folks out there who aren't actually familiar with legal operations or legal ops as a concept. So a quick word of background. The idea of legal ops is actually pretty simple. The core role of legal ops professionals is to help run the legal function of a corporation like a business, just like every other department of the corporation. It's the execution of that simple idea that can get a bit complicated. Legal Ops pros strive to optimize the delivery of legal services across a range of disciplines in order to add value, cut cost, increase effectiveness, etc. For example, by using improved and standardized processes or leveraging analytics and technology, all to achieve better results based on objective success metrics. Given the complexities of the role, nearly a decade ago, a few pioneers in the field came together to share tips and begin a collaborative dialogue on best practices for legal ops professionals. Over time, that small discussion group grew, as did the importance of the legal ops function within corporate America and around the world. And in 2016, the organizers of that relatively informal discussion group established a 501c3 called the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, or CLOCK. The mission of CLOCK is essentially the same as the idea behind those original small gatherings. Get corporate legal operation pros together to share lessons learned and collaborate to create best practices. But what's changed is the scale. In just two years, CLOCK has grown from an intimate discussion group of about 40 to a major force for innovation and change on the legal landscape, with a global reach and well over 1,000 members worldwide. Two years ago, they hosted their first institute, a conference of sorts to engage with the broader CLOCK community in person. Last year, that institute had grown to several hundred attendees. After hearing from sources that I trust that it's one of the absolute don't-miss events on the legal conference calendar, I bought a ticket out to Vegas to join over 1,000 attendees at this year's Corporate Legal Operations Institute. As with Legal Week earlier this year, I was armed with my trusty mobile microphone and eight questions for attendees. Question 1. As a legal technology conference, what makes CLOCK special? Question 2. What's something you'd like to see or hear more at CLOCK? Question three, what's something you'd like to see or hear less at Clock? Question four, what's the most significant difference between the legal tech needs of corporate legal departments and law firms? Question five, which legal innovation or technology product has been the most significant for your professional life over the last three years? Question six, what's the most interesting company, product, or innovation that you've seen at Clock? Question seven, What part of the legal landscape is most in need of significant innovation? In question eight, what's your favorite source of information about what's happening in legal technology and innovation? Again, as at Legal Week, I floated through the sessions, workshops, and expo hall and grabbed a range of attendees out of the blue, handed them a list of questions, and asked them to pick two or three to answer on the spot. Their unfiltered reactions created this podcast. It's our hope that this pod will capture a bit of the extraordinary flavor of last week and give you a glimpse into what it was like to be at this year's Clock Institute. Without further ado, here are the Voices of Clock 2018, beginning with answers to the first question, as a legal technology conference, what makes Clock special?
1: My name is uh, Chris Chin. I'm a legal director at Google, um, and I've been coming to Clock for three years, it's uh, it's really special in my mind because it offers uh, a more practical sort of approach to legal operations and technology. So uh, we've Google has been in legal ops and technology for about ten years, and we sort of watched the evolution of it grow. And Clock is does a really good job of combining practical, you know, plus sort of strategic kind of initiatives. So it's 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 a they you can tell that the that the Organizers of CLOCK are in the industry and know exactly what the day-to-day challenges are. Uh,
2: My name's Scott Weber. I'm general counsel of Lumina Networks, Inc. Before that, I was in Juniper Networks for 10 years in Singapore as well as in the United States. And I moved from the commercial field, uh, commercial side of the business, into legal operations specifically to try to figure out ways to make things more efficient, make things a little bit better. And what's so significant to me about CLOCK is I I just consider it the open source of legal operations, or really of a legal department. Um, the collaboration, the way people to get together across the world, across the country. I mean, I've, I've worked on one initiative for Clock. People are all over the world are involved in this thing, and it's just grown exponentially. It's amazing.
3: My name is Janelle Belling. I'm with uh, Perkins Cooey. I'm the managing director of their e-discovery services and strategies practice. Um, what I think makes Clocks so special is that it is just a really innovative group that is getting together, uh, wanting to collaborate, make change, share information, make the legal process a little bit more efficient. Um, I feel like it's, it's not competitive. It's just a great energy, and it's really kind of contagious when you're here.
4: I'm Ken Adams, contract drafting guy at adamsdrafting.com, an advisor to legal sifter. I think what makes Clock uh, special as an event is that it's geared to legal operations. That indicates that there's growing acceptance that... Getting work done is more than unleashing lawyers on whatever task it is. We also have to have a more critical approach to how the process is handled because lawyers left to those, their own devices uh, tend to overcomplicate things.
0: Those themes, a practical, results-oriented focus and a collaborative approach to addressing challenges, are palpable at CLOCK and they permeate the programming of the conference top to bottom. We also heard a couple of interesting perspectives about the value clock provides by bringing together different stakeholders with a wide range of perspectives to solve common problems.
5: This is Susan Reardon-Lambreth, and I'm a principal with Law Vision Group and the founder of the LPM Institute. And one of the things that I love is the theme that CLOCK has of embracing the whole legal ecosystem and the fact that all the different members of that ecosystem are treated as valuable participants and not as vendors or in some way devalued. So it brings together just amazing perspectives that I think are going to add a lot of value and bring about significant change in the profession.
6: My name is Amina Dad. I am an assistant general counsel in the Oracle Legal Department. What makes CLOCK special to me is the diversity of individuals you get to interact with at this conference, both lawyers and non-lawyers, all focusing on what m- makes legal departments work. Um, and that's the other aspect that I think is is quite valuable. It is a a real deeper dive for legal department-driven technology, which is different than technology that may be valuable to a law firm or other types of uh, legal organizations.
0: Put a pin in that last point for when we reach question four. Question two was about what attendees would like to see or hear more at CLOCK, and we received two great opinions from our interviewees.
7: I'm Carlos Gámez. I work on innovation projects for Thomson Reuters' legal division. And one thing I'd like to see more at CLOCK is specialization. A lot of professionals that come into CLOCK are coming from different paths of life. And if we become a large organization or if CLOCK becomes a large organization, um, I I feel that they're not going to be able to provide everything for everyone. So some... some, um, uh, specialization by practice areas or interests, like uh, process, technology, uh, culture, uh, some of the um, uh, the different attributes of clock.
8: Okay, this is Bill Henderson. I'm a professor at Indiana University of Maurer School of Law. I would love to hear more implementation stories, especially stories of false starts, failures, how we regrouped and how we pushed the thing through to uh, completion. There's a lot of technology here uh, and a lot of great ideas, uh, but great ideas always eventually devolve into hard work. And I'd like to hear uh, lessons learned in the trenches, how we got this thing over the line here. And it's okay to fail and completely push it away and, and tell how we started uh, something with a clean sheet of paper. So I'd love to hear those things here. It's not all uh, uh, cookies and cream by any, large, by any stretch of the imagination. I want to hear the real implementation, dirt under the fingernails stories. It was generally a very
0: positive crowd at CLOCK, and we were only able to find one person to take the bait on question three and rise to the challenge of identifying something they'd like to see or hear less at CLOCK.
9: Yeah, I'm Paul Lippi. I was a general counsel in Silicon Valley starting almost 30 years ago, and I've been involved in legal tech as an entrepreneur in various ways and have started a new venture, both working with Elevate uh, Services and also doing kind of a single-purpose law firm to accelerate M&A execution. I think the thing we should be hearing much less about is change management and personalities. High-performance cultures, people focus on performance, and they don't talk about why they need to cajole somebody to understand they should perform. The problem in law is we don't have a very modern and transparent way of measuring performance, and so lawyers are able to continue the way they they work much the way they worked 40 years ago, and then now somebody, some organizational behavioralist or a clock member has to go and cajole them into change management. Uh, not my first rodeo. I'm pretty sure that any, any meeting that begins with, uh, let's discuss the change management, ends with nothing happening. But you know, whether you're a, you're a Navy SEAL or an entrepreneur or, or a musician, people who are in a transparent performance culture they figure out how to do their job better, and they don't need somebody to encourage them to be open to doing their job better. So we as lawyers, historically, were the most open, most performance-oriented profession. We've lost a little of that mojo. We need to get that back. I think CLOCK brings together a lot of the pieces of that conversation, but I think, frankly, the emphasis on kind of change management is, is the wrong emphasis. We dropped a pin a moment ago. Now
0: let's come back to it. Question four asked, what's the most significant difference between the legal tech needs of corporate legal departments and law firms? And this was one of our most popular questions with a bunch of great thinkers choosing to weigh in. To kick things off, let's rejoin Amin where he's picking up the thread he introduced at the end of his answer to question one.
6: My name is Amin Dad. I'm an assistant general counsel at Oracle Corporation. Um, The most significant difference is that uh, in a a company such as Oracle, uh, the legal group is a support group. We aren't the the main revenue source as lawyers are in a law firm. Um, And so our needs are different and our role in the company is different. Um, We are uh, also speaking to a different audience where law firms, their client often is another lawyer, be it an in-house attorney, Our audience often in a law firm is rather corporate legal department, I believe. It's a non-lawyer, so we need to have information that we can apprise to non-lawyers in a way that they understand and appreciate, uh, and we can deliver efficiently and consistently across all different business lines.
0: The idea of in-house lawyers playing a different role and needing to speak to a different audience and how that might affect their technical needs came up in the answers repeatedly.
10: This is Noah Weisberg, co-founder and CEO of Cure Systems. The biggest difference between the needs of legal departments and law firms is that law departments are trying to get the answer, right? Can I do this deal? Whereas law firms are in need of tools that help them give their clients the answer, like, yes, you can do this. And here's how we found out. And that means that law firms are really well positioned to take advantage of AI, which today is generally not something that's gonna give you a 100% answer, but might get you 80 or 90% of the way. And so, since the law firms are trying to give the corporate law departments that answer, something that gets them 80 or 90% of the way can be really useful, whereas a law department, which needs to get to the final answer, can use AI, but they're possibly using it in conjunction with a service provider
11: like a law firm. Hello, this is Kingsley Martin. Thank you, Christian. Uh, I find that a very challenging question. In the case of a legal department, Meaning here, law firm, I believe. Particularly working with senior partners, they're looking for subtle nuance, very capable technology that can guide an expert in a particular area. I find that with the corporate legal department, their needs are more routinized. And so we're trying to establish standards and systems that they can use to deal with day-to-day issues.
12: Hi, this is Susan Hackett of Legal Executive Leadership. You know, that question is so difficult to answer because there are so many things that both legal departments and law firms use technology for that's the same. But some of the really significant differences have to be that law departments want to use technology to get shit done. And a lot of law firms want to use technology to communicate with their clients and to create better relationships and to sell the shit they produce. So both of them have a common interest in the technology, but a lot of what I'm seeing law departments using it for is a lot more realistic, more practical, and less focused on how to influence someone else in the process. They want it for their own work. Picking up on the first thing that Susan said, not everyone was sold on the idea
0: that the technological needs of corporate legal departments and law firms are really all that different. I'm Ron Friedman. I'm a partner with Fireman and Company. I work with a lot of law firms and law
13: departments. I think that there's not as much difference in the needs as many expect because lawyers in both organizations are practicing law. And to practice law effectively, you need the same set of tools. And many of the law departments I've seen had interactions with are under-equipped because they're part of the corporation. Uh, There's also a different set of needs because one is managing a portfolio of outside counsel, the other is managing billable hours, and there's too much focus on that. But we need to see all lawyers get more efficient with more use of specific practice technologies.
0: But to Ron's point about how a legal department's location within a corporation might affect its level of equipment, one of our interviewees had a very different take. This is Brian
14: Kuhn. I am the co founder and global leader of IBM Watson Legal. And uh, I think one of the most significant differences between the needs of corporate law departments and law firms is based upon uh, the access that they have to underlying technology. In other words, if you're a vendor building for law firms right now, uh, you're not going to generate as much revenue, and there's less of an incentive for you to develop for law firms than for companies uh, who are actively seeking to disintermediate law firms. Of course, they wouldn't say that, but who are actively seeking to self surf um, So I think level of access in the quality of the underlying technology is unfortunately uh, a significant difference between law firms and, uh,
0: and corporate law departments. Question five was also relatively popular. This is the question about which legal innovation or technology product has been most significant for your professional life over the last three years. And the idea here is to try to get a very tangible sense, leaving aside the buzz in the media or the hype in the expo hall, of what lawyers, technologists, and other in the ecosystem are actually using and benefiting from. We had a bunch of great answers from interviewees to this question, ranging from intensely specific products and practical innovations to exciting broader technological trends.
15: David Cambria, Global Director of Operations for Law, Compliance, and Government Relations for Archer Daniels Midland. Over the last three years, really the movement of ELM as a broader platform for managing the legal function.
0: ELM for the uninitiated meaning enterprise legal management.
15: Which took it out of traditional legal and spend management, but incorporating a lot of the workflow and a lot of the dashboarding tools has really been the most um, beneficial tool in, uh, for my area over the last three years.
1: This is Chris Chin. I'm a director at, uh, in the legal department at Google. I would probably say uh, uh, a combination of e-signatures, contracts management, and now that now Google is starting to apply machine learning and AI on top of those uh, those, those data sources. So we are now looking at extracting you know metadata from our sources, uh, automating large chunks of the contracts process, um, and extracting a lot of data and running metrics on those pieces of data. That's going to help us, you know, obviously cut out a lot of cycle times in the, con- in, the, in the contract process, but also learn about our contracts and our processes and how long it takes for us to do certain deals. Uh, and we will be able to apply what we learn to improving the, the, the process overall. The maturation and practical
0: utility of AI was front of mind for several interviewees.
16: Uh, my name is Dean Sonderegger, I work for Walters Kluwer. Uh, for me, it's the confluence of three things uh, faster processing speed, greater dur- data storage, and evolution of these AI machine learning algorithms that have. All kind of come together at the same point in time to allow us to actually get meaningful analytics and analysis out of uh, data in the legal space. So, case law data, contract data, and so that's the, that's, and, and, and then you actually see law firms able to use this to improve efficiency and client outcomes. So, that's really a kind of a cool thing going on in the market.
11: Hello, oh, this is Kingsley Martin. I am Chief Contract Scientist at Accorda Corporation, and I think for me it has been the development of machine learning and deep learning. I've seen over the course of the last 15 years the capability move from rules-based system where we could build these very tight rules. They were very capable of finding information, but missed a lot. We then moved into the arena of machine learning, where we gave examples to the machine to be able to come up with the training sets. And now as you move into this new generation of deep learning, the machine is actually telling us and creating us these, these patterns with a level of accuracy that is quite stunning.
0: But others were focused more on the day-to-day nuts and bolts.
4: Hi, I'm Ken Adams, contract drafting guy at adamsdrafting.com and advisor to Legal Sifter. I confess that al- although AI, artificial intelligence is uh, the hot item for a moment, in the previous 3 years what is the technology that has been most relevant to me is document assembly. Kind of old-fashioned, but it allows you to draft contracts by answering an annotated online questionnaire. Uh, and when you're done, the system pulls together and adjusts the, the preloaded language so that you get a draft that is tailored to your needs. It's not rocket science, it's not glamorous, but boy, it allows you to get the task done. Now, I'm current with Legal Sifter, I'm currently uh, having my first close encounter with artificial intelligence. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to that.
3: My name is Janelle Belling. I'm with Perkins Cooey. I am the managing director of our eDiscovery Services and Strategies Practice Group. And one of the technologies that I've used in the past several years is OneNote. Um, For me, it's just an amazing tool that allows you to collaborate with others. You can share your information with other people. You can drag and drop documents in. You can tie it to calendar entries. It's just a great way to kind of keep your thoughts on a particular subject. And it's very easy, very intuitive, really easy to, to teach. And so we've created some structures within our own organization for using it to help manage our projects.
0: I love that last answer because it's about going out and finding something that exists in the market today, outside of the legal realm specifically, with great functionality and using it to improve your practice without reinventing the wheel. I'm an Evernote, not OneNote guy, but same idea. In question six, we asked attendees to identify the most interesting company, product, or innovation that they've seen at CLOCK, and we got a number of interesting answers.
8: This is Bill Henderson. I'm a professor at Indiana University Maurer School of Law. I was really intrigued by having the hood popped on the, on the, on the DXC United Lex deal and understand what was driving that initiative. I think that that's a, a kind of a picture of a, of a new way of delivering legal services that, that basically takes the process data technology outside of the subject matter specialists and enables it to kind of grow and rationalize and drive results. In a way that I think that uh, uh, could be a bit of a game changer in the legal industry, and uh, and that's that's a clear model that I think could be followed. It may be the case that it'll only take place uh, in kind of merger situations, which was the setup there between HP Enterprises and uh, and um, uh, uh, CSC. But uh, uh, but that was an intriguing, worthwhile session where they gave lots of uh, concrete information on what was behind this really big significant deal, so I was glad I was there.
7: I'm Carlos Gámez, I work um, for Thomson Reuters uh, in the legal business doing innovation initiatives and the, a really great example I saw was Cypherth uh, Link um, and the way they're combining multiple technologies, AI, uh, robotics, uh, chatbots, um, rules-based engines, analytics in the context of servicing a workflow. And it's a very integrated approach, uh, user-centric, and the output is uh, something the client wants. Um, I think traditionally we, th- we see things that are more product-focused, and I really like the way that they've combined these attributes and these products to solve an actual problem.
17: Byron Buck with Caterpillar. Um... I would say the most interesting is uh, the RBA bot that NetApp has uh, applied in their um, operations and uh, the way they've been able to use that and integrate it with human interaction and then uh, automated interaction.
9: Yeah, I'm Paul Lippi I was a general counsel in Silicon Valley starting almost 30 years ago, and I've been involved in legal tech as an entrepreneur in various ways and have started a new Venture, both working with Elevate uh, Services and also doing kind of a single-purpose law firm to accelerate M and A execution. So I think we're really starting to see the maturation of AI. Uh, so I, you know, two two slightly uh, skeptical observations. So first, I'm pretty sure I'm the only lawyer here at Clock that anybody knows who put four kids through expensive American colleges selling AI software. And the reason is I did it for in a company called Synopsys, which sells AI software for engineers. And what the CTO said to me on the first day when I asked him if it was AI, he said, well, it's only AI when it doesn't work. Once it works, it's just software. So we've got this kind of big fantasy in law that somehow AI is going to happen. And I think people are invested in that fantasy because somehow they want to get to a low friction, more objective world And they don't, as we talked about in the other question, they don't want to have the change management conversation and they think somehow AI is going to get them there. But in fact, they could get most of the way there without AI. But what what AI does in the classic go-to-market strategy around AI is not to disintermediate the expert, but to give people tools to do the job faster and maybe you know, in the same way that nobody would say today, I'm going to practice law without electricity or I'm skeptical about using Word because it didn't exist, you, you use the tools that are available. So, AI, particularly for things like contract analytics, for um, generating certain kinds of document types faster, for accelerating search, not to displace legal reasoning, that's absurd, but to, as legal as lawyers and legal thinking exist in an ever more digital context we should use digital tools to manage the digital aspects of that. And AI will be a part of that. So AI for due diligence, what have you, you know, that'll be where we're going. By volume,
0: question seven was our most popular with clock attendees who were clamoring to answer the question, what part of the legal landscape is most in need of significant innovation? I was fascinated to see the direction our interviewees took this question. Some of the answers focused tightly on tech, while others panned out to address inefficiencies in the practice of law more generally.
14: Hello, this is Brian Kuhn. I'm the co-founder and global leader of IBM Watson Legal. And I think that the the part of the legal landscape that's the most in need of significant innovation is governance. Although there's been a renaissance in legal technology, a lot of the data output of the various tools can't be analyzed together. These tools don't talk to each other, and uh, that creates a lot of market confusion. I imagine that going forward, there will be, and there will have to be, some way that the data output of these tools can be analyzed together to produce holistic insights. Uh, Until that happens, it's going to remain a wild west full of effectively point solutions.
16: my name is Dean Sonderegger. I work for Walters Kluwer. The thing that's really had great innovation up to this point in time has been the application of AI, machine learning technology uh, to create analytics, but... From my perspective, there's still a fair amount of labor that the law firm or the law department has to do to get that integrated into their environment and to train those algorithms. So I'd say that they're all about 80, 85% of the way there. It's kind of an analog to if you go back in time to where there was high bandwidth going into the switching station for telephones, but it didn't go to the house. It was that last mile. I think that we have that last mile problem where we have to transform from tools where the attorney builds stuff to something that's out of the box, and that's something that really hasn't happened yet and i think that's the next opportunity for innovation.
0: I started to notice a theme with the next few answers, a theme that's near and dear to my heart as a former M&A lawyer.
4: Hi, Ken Adams, contract drafting guy at adamsdrafting.com and advisor to Legal Sifter. Since i'm a contract drafting guy, i just have to say that I'm continually amazed at how traditional contract drafting just doesn't work, or at least it, it, it is nowhere near as clear as it should be, and the process is nowhere near as, as efficient as it should be. It just, we, we are tolerating all this waste and all this confusion, and there's no need for it, and that's why I've cheerfully uh, made it uh, my task to do what I can
11: to help make things more efficient. Hello, this is Kenzie Martin, Chief Contract Scientist at Accorda Corporation. I think the area that, quite frankly, is in greatest need, we have a lot of technology. But in some cases, the answer may be more simple. We need to create simple contract standards. No legalese, as we like to call it. We can cut through many of the problems by just simplifying the data set. And it is so capable of doing this. We have so much capability to simplify, to take contracts from hundreds of pages and very, very complex to just a couple of pages. They are fundamentally business instruments.
10: This is Noah Weisberg, co-founder and CEO of Kira Systems. To me, uh, I used to be a corporate lawyer and I know that so much of the work that I used to do and supervise could be done better with the use of technology or other people or process. And so to me, corporate legal practice really stands out as an area that is in great need of innovation. And I think I'm really happy to see that it's starting to come now. Well, I'm Ron Friedman. I'm a partner with Fireman & Company. I work with a lot of law, depar- law firms and law departments. What, what
13: strikes me being at CLOCK is there's a lot of great data, a lot of great tools, but I'm not seeing enough emphasis on... Outcomes and metrics of outcomes. So, there's a lot of talk about spend and there's a lot of talk of automation, but we need to see more emphasis on how do we judge outcomes and make risk adjusted decisions based on those outcomes. So, that's what I think
0: has to change. And that's a great segue into another set of answers that hammered away at a pocket of related issues that are often seen as key structural obstacles to meaningful innovation and the improvement of the delivery of legal services, at least from the perspective of those paying the bills.
5: This is Susan and Lambreth with Law Vision Group and the founder of the Legal Project Management Institute. And the two areas I think of that are most in need of innovation of the many, one is the partner compensation in law firms where the incentives could be more based on matter profitability to drive incentives for different kinds of behavior and also to have greater incentives for true collaboration within the organization. And then the other one would be the whole area of law schools and really preparing legal graduates for the kinds of careers that they're going to have today with the changing legal profession.
15: David Cambria, Global Director of Operations for Law, Compliance and Government Relations at Archer Daniels Midland Company. Uh, For me, the part of the legal landscape most in need of significant innovation is really how law firms go about compensating their employees, compensating their lawyers. Until we change the incentives that really drive the behavior, we're not going to change the behavior that really is going to move us towards real innovation, real change that their clients are desiring.
17: Byron Buck with Caterpillar. Um, I would say the way that uh, outside counsel and in-house counsel collaborate and uh, work through uh, billing in ways other than the billable hour Uh, really focusing more on total legal spend for the core company and total profit for the um, firm.
0: And Susan gave us a great answer that cuts across the substance of so many of our legal innovation needs and brings it all home for question seven.
12: Hey, this is Susan Hackett. I'm the CEO of Legal Executive Leadership, and I'm thrilled to be back at the CLOCK conference again, because innovation is what this conference always talks about. But I got to tell you, the most important thing to innovate right now is us, the people, the least technologically enabled and most technologically challenged part of the entire equation. And that's what makes CLOCK great, is it's because there's a couple thousand people who are all struggling with wonderful practices out there and lagging Behind them, a whole bunch of people who are trying their best to move into the 21st century and solve problems more creatively.
0: Finally, question eight asked attendees about their favorite source of information about what's happening in legal technology and innovation. And the couple of answers we got, I think, underscores the value being created within the legal ecosystem by Clock in the community it's creating.
2: My name's Scott Weber. I'm general counsel of Lumina Networks Inc. And best source I know for information is just the Clock billboard and the information comes out from CLOCK on a regular basis, Uh, particularly the email strings of everybody saying, I'm interested in this project or another project, although it does get a little old, some of the me-toos, they need to figure that out.
15: David Cambria, Global Director of Operations for Law, Compliance and Government Relations at Archer Daniels Midland Company. Uh, For me, the favorite source of information about what's happening is really connecting with the people in very informal settings about what work they're actually really doing, what's taking hold trying to understand um, what has worked for them and what hasn't worked and trying to build upon that in a very collaborative way. Well, those are the
0: Voices of Clock 2018. We hope you enjoyed our little compilation. If you did and would like us to cut similar pods together at future conferences throughout the year, please let us know. You can reach us at blacklinesandbillables.com, on Facebook and LinkedIn under the name Black Lines and Billables, or on Twitter. Our handle is at BNB Legal, at BNB Legal. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and rating in iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. It helps others find the podcast and join our B&B community. We'll be back again soon with our next episode. Thanks for listening.